Living Translation. It says, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he has destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all this, because Gibeon was a large town, as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai. And the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. They were strong warriors. So let me set this up. As you know, Joshua is in the middle of conquering the promised land. He's in the middle of doing what God promised Moses he would do, what God promised Abraham he would do, and that would be to give the Israelites a land, a land of promise that God had already claimed, and now they were fulfilling that promise by walking it out. And here they come. They've just done a great exploit. They've seen great things happen. They've seen the Jericho, the walls of Jericho fall. They've seen Ai fall. They've seen Gibeon. They've seen many, many nations or many, many areas fall in this entire land. And as they're marching, the word is going out. People are escaping, (laughs) and they're heading to different points and different cities and even different kings and telling them about what is happening. And fear begins to gum throughout the land because of what God is doing. And here, the king of Jerusalem, say the king of Jerusalem, the king of Jerusalem. Now, when you see that, you think, oh, wait a minute, is that David? Is that Solomon? No, this is long before David and Solomon. This is when Jerusalem was still owned by heathen kings. God had not established his kingdom yet. This was not the kingdom set up. This was not the capital of Israel yet. It would become the capital of Israel, but it was not the capital of Israel. Up to this point, every city that Joshua had conquered, he conquered because he marched on it. Or, as with Gibeon, we're going to learn here in a minute, as with Gibeon, Gibeon was given to him. But now the kings are coming to Joshua. Now the kings are becoming afraid and saying, we've got to do something. The word Gibeon means city on the hill. Don't worry about it, guys. I'd rather not have that distraction. Thank you. City on the hill. Everybody say that. City on the hill. That is what we're talking about. Gibeon is the city on the hill. And this bothered the king of Jerusalem. Why? I'm going to show you in just a moment. Let's get back to it. Adonai Zedek is the king of Jerusalem, and this is a key city for Joshua, and he doesn't even know it yet. But God is bringing Joshua the future capital of Israel by making all of this happen. Okay? So you have to understand that with there were two cities that Zadok mentioned, and he said Ai and Gibeon. You see, What we know, because we've read the Bible, is that both of these cities were actually difficulties in Joshua's conquering days. Do you remember Ai, that little city right after Jericho? It was just a small, tiny city. And after the great defeat of the biggest city, Jericho, Joshua thought, hey, we can go take Ai. That's no problem. I mean, it's only got a few thousand people. We can take it, no problem. So they did not inquire the Lord. And when they got to Ai, the people of Ai were ready for them, and they beat Joshua and the army and killed about 30 men. 
And they, Joshua and his army ran back. And they didn't understand because they thought God had given them the whole land. How many of you know sometimes there's defeats in our lives? Sometimes there's setbacks. And Joshua did what he should have done in the beginning. And he went and he began to inquire the Lord, what happened? God, I don't understand. I thought you gave us the, all the cities. I thought you gave us all the land. And God told him, if you would have asked me, I would have told you there's sin in the camp. Then Joshua dealt with the sin in the camp, with Achan's sin. And then he said, now you can go back and defeat Ai. And they did easily, very easily, because the Lord was on their side. It's hard to defeat your enemy when sin is in the camp. I said, it's hard to defeat your enemy when sin is in the camp. When you know that there is willful sin in your household, in your life, it's hard to defeat the enemy because the enemy will use that sin against you all day long. Well, that's not the message, so let's keep going. So there was defeat at Ai. Then what about Gibeon? Gibeon was a place of deceit. Ai was a place of defeat, and Gibeon was a place of deceit. You see, the Gibeonites also heard that Joshua was coming after what he'd done to Jericho and then Ai. And so the Gibeonites knew that their city was next, so they were smart. They said, we can't defeat Joshua, and we can't defeat this God of theirs. So they got together and devised a plan, and they put on old clothes. They rubbed mold all over themselves. They got moldy bread, and they put themselves on some really old, tired horses and donkeys and camels, and they, they dragged themselves up, acting like they'd been on a long journey. And they concocted this entire story and told Joshua, listen, we're from a very far-off land, and that land, we're so, we just barely made it here, but we're here to just, can, can, we'll be your slaves and Again, Joshua and his leaders did not inquire the Lord. I mean, when you make a mistake, it's something, right? Husbands, anybody around here? When you make a first-time mistake, it's okay. But the second time, oh, boy. Oh, boy. And he made the mistake again. He didn't inquire the Lord. The Gibeonites were literally less than a day's march. They would have been one of the next cities to be taken. Joshua and his, and his leaders said, okay, You've come here, you know, you've raised a white flag. We'll take your city now exactly where it is. And they said, wait, first sign this document. So they made a covenant with them before the Lord. And then they said, oh, by the way, we're actually over the, we're actually over the hill. Ah, we could have had that entire city. Well, they did. They ended up getting the whole city through slavery. So they had this covenant. And in this covenant, when they made this deal, they said, we will protect you from anyone else. And the king of Jerusalem knew that. And he said, we're coming after Gibeon. We're going to attack it, and it's going to draw. It's going to draw Joshua out, and then we'll be able to defeat him. So he got four other kings with him and said, let's go do this. I want to tell you something before we get into more of the story. That even in defeat and even in deceit, even in your failure, even in your stumbling, God can cause you to triumph in the end. If you give it back to him, you know, what I have found in ministry, I'm coming up on that golden birthday here in just less than a month. And I told my wife, she said, what do you want for your 50th birthday? And I said, this is what I want. I want more than anything for the house to be full of the people of God chasing after him. So you know what the best gift you can give me is to come to church after my birthday. My birthday's on the 21st, but I'll be coming in from uh, Dubai on that day. 
And when I land on that day, and then that's a Wednesday, and then on that next Sunday, I want you to be in the house of God praising God. I want you to be in the house of God serving him. That's the best birthday gift anybody could give me. Come on, somebody. Anyway, so in these 50 short years of my life, in 30 years of ministry, one thing I have learned is that failure isn't final with God. Look at your neighbor and say, failure isn't final. Come on, look at that neighbor. Say, failure isn't final. Failure is not final with God. I love when we were um, marrying Kay and Greg yesterday. For those of you who don't know Kay and Greg, they're an incredible couple. They, this couple have been dating for 10 years. 10 years. Yes, Greg finally popped a question on their 10th anniversary of dating, and he said, will you marry me? And yesterday we got the privilege of doing that right here. But there were some things that Greg wanted to take care of. There were some things that they wanted to take care of. And as they entered their golden years, they wanted to make sure that things were right with each other, right with themselves as they come into this relationship. And it was a beautiful time as their children were gathered and as their family was gathered to say, you know what? God is a God of second chances. And Greg said, Pastor, you're right. But he's actually the God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Anybody ever found that to be true? Failure is not final. If you're still breathing, God still is there for you. He's got a plan for you. God is the champion sponsor of comeback stories. Isn't that true? Look through the whole Bible. And that the greatest leaders, Moses was a murderer. Paul was a persecutor of the church. I mean, when you look at these stories and you realize that if their failure didn't totally take them out, then the failure that the enemy keeps bringing up to me time and time again is not going to take me out. And you see, the king of Jerusalem, I was, I'm convinced he was thinking this will be another failure for Joshua. If we can come and surprise attack them, then this is going to be a surprise comeback. But no, that's not going to happen. Skip down to verse 7 of Joshua chapter 10. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Remember, they began to attack the Gibeonite community, and then they called for Joshua to come and get them. So this is what Joshua does. And if you were just to stop at that verse 7, you'd think, uh-oh, Joshua's making another mistake. He's not inquiring the Lord. He's going off with his best warriors just to go and, and, you know, just to complete his vow. No, 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 no. Look at verse 8. It says, do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. What do we see here? We see that actually the Lord spoke to Joshua. Now, that could mean any number of things to us. We could say, well, yeah, I was driving down the road and the Lord spoke to me. Or, you know, I was running one morning and the Lord spoke to me. Or I was in the shower. How many of you guys speaks to you in the shower? I don't know why that is. I think it's just that one time in our day that everything stops and you're just like, okay, wash the hair, you know. And then all of a sudden, God speaks. I've, I've had God speak to me many times in the shower. But in this day and in this time, for God to speak to Joshua, for God to speak to a leader, this is what that meant. 
it meant that that leader had to go before the priesthood of God, had to go before the Ark of the Covenant, or had to go before the tabernacle and inquire of the Lord. We know from Joshua's life that he learned to spend time in the presence of God under Moses. The Bible declares in Exodus that when Moses would go into the tent of meeting, remember, have those 40 days and 40 nights of glory? Then the Bible declares that Moses would leave the tent, but Joshua would stay behind. It's just, it's a little bitty small verse in Exodus, but it's made such an impact on my life. To recognize that when I'm in training, when we're in training, the best place we can be is in the presence of God. And when Moses would have to leave and go and take care of things, Joshua, his assistant, would stay behind in the presence of the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us what God spoke to Joshua in those days. But you know Joshua got addicted to the presence of God. And he had made his mistake at Ai. He had made his mistake at Gibeon. And I can tell you he wasn't going to make that mistake again. He was going to seek the Lord. And as the Lord began to speak to him, he was seeking the Lord for what to do about Gibeon. I want to say this. One reason we go around the same mountains or issues in our lives is that we don't learn the lessons that those defeats bring us in the first place. Have you ever wondered why is it, Pastor, that, that I am defeated in the same area of my life over and over and over again? Come on, I know... Most of us are good Christian people in this place. But have you ever had an issue in your life that seemed to be reoccurring? Maybe it wasn't a sin. Maybe it was just an area of your faith that you just couldn't seem to conquer. And you would make those mistakes over and over and over again. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I would see it with guys and girls, teenagers all the time. Great, great kids. And they would be awesome, and they would come, and they would worship the Lord, and then I wouldn't see them for a few weeks. Or I'd notice in the worship time that their hands were down, and their heads were just kind of, you know, there, and they were just there in the, in the sanctuary. What was going on? And you would begin to talk to them and begin to find out that they kept going back to the same friends that they shouldn't be around over and over and over again. It's like they'd get set free and they would leave those bad friends behind. And then they would go back to school and they would find a new set of bad friends. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's like they were drawn to these certain types of people and be like, what are you doing? Have you ever felt like that you've been drawn back to the same battle and the same defeat over and over again? I've got hope for you today. Somebody say, praise God. I've got hope for you today. Look at James chapter 1. Verse 2 through 4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I don't know about you, but when trials come my way, I usually am not thinking joy. But that's what Scripture says for us to do. In other words, when that trial comes, when that defeat comes, when that battle comes, don't look at it and go, ah, I failed again. No, begin to, to take joy, begin to say, you know what? That's coming back up. That trial's coming back up again. There must be something I need to take away from this. And it says, 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What do I feel like God is saying to us today? I feel like God is saying that when those things come our way that seem to defeat us time and time again, for Joshua it was not seeking the Lord before the battle. And he learned his lesson. So here's the thing. Let's stop going around the same mountains only to learn the same lessons. He said, what do you mean? I mean, stop going around those same mountains. When that thing comes at you, you come at it. Let me say that again. When that thing comes at you, you come at it. You see, this is a battle that was coming to Joshua. And Joshua didn't cower back and go, oh, no, I don't know, maybe we're going to be defeated again like at AI. No, he went after it. He got a word from God, and he went after it. He didn't shrink back from it. He went after the battle. Let's start learning from our pain and our failures so that we can go conquer the next mountain and grow. You know what I do, what I've been doing lately in life? is just saying before the Lord, Lord, what is it that, that I missed here? The same trial, the same thing keeps coming up over and over again. What is it that I missed? And being honest before the Lord and saying, Lord, reveal to me what I missed here. Reveal to me what I'm continuing to do. Why am I repeating this over and over again? Why does this same battle keep coming back to me? God, I want to learn from this. I want to stop cursing the battle and start rejoicing because I know that I'm about to grow. I know it's time to grow. Amen? It's time to grow. Let's keep on going, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that. Joshua chapter 10, verse 11. It says, As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azek. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. I believe that when we take on these battles, when we take on these challenges, and we say, no longer am I going to be a victim, but I'm going to be a victor. When we begin to change our confession and begin to say, this is a battle, yes, but I'm going to overcome and I'm going to grow from this. When we begin to change that confession and begin to come at these enemies that are coming at us, instead of being the victim and continuing and going and saying, I'm going to be a victor, I believe the Lord will fight our battles. I believe the Lord will fight our battles. The Lord can do more with a weather, weather pattern than we can do with our swords. <laughs> That's worth repeating. The Lord can do more with a weather pattern than we can do with our swords. Now, I, I, I understand this. I teach this. We have a part to play in activating our faith. We do. Joshua had to go for it. He had to get the word from the Lord, and then he had to go for it. But God was the one who defeated the enemy that day. We will never outdo what God can do. It's our small step of faith and then God's large step of victory that comes into our lives. When we begin to take those small steps of faith, God begins to take the large steps of victory on our behalf. Let's 
debating with the Lord whether to share this, but I think I need to share this. I remember, and for those of you that don't know me well, I'm going to use a money illustration here. And the reason I do that is because I believe that money is the lowest level of faith that we can learn from. It's, it's a simple level of faith. But for me, money was a giant in my life growing up. I had, I had what I would call or consider a poverty mentality. And there was a day when I was in ministry. We, we were young in ministry. We were young in love. My wife and I had only been married for just a short time, about a year and a half. We had a new baby, baby Joe, who was up here ministering to you. And it shows you how long ago this was. But he was just a little baby. We'd just bought a house. We'd had to buy a car. Our other car literally blew up. And so we had to go and buy a car. And you know how you do when, when, uh, when, when you're young and dumb. You're just like, well, uh, you know, my car blew up, so i got to go buy a new one, right? I'm, I mean, a brand spanking new one. Just dumb things that you do, right? Anybody with me? Anybody ever made a dumb mistake like that? Oh, come on. Please, please tell me you have. I made a couple of dumb mistakes like that. Car mistakes seem to be a big one. I need to get over that mountain. Anyway, but here's the point. So we were young. We were in debt. We were, we were trying to do the work of God. We were doing all these things. And, and the Lord had put in our hearts to launch out into full-time ministry. We were working jobs, working really hard, helping out a small church, and that was all good. But the Lord spoke to my heart and said, step out in full-time ministry. And what I translated that as was help this small church full-time all with my whole heart. I was a youth pastor. And he said, just step out and don't. And I'm like, Lord, how do, how do I leave my job behind and not have an uh, income? I mean, I was making 100 bucks a week from the church, and I'm like, how, how am I going to live like that? How am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to buy pay for this vehicle? Anybody, anybody ever been in a situation like that? Saying, God, how am I going to step out in faith like that? And this is how the Lord told me to do it. Give away a week's paycheck. <laughs> I said, Lord, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> I mean, we're faithful tithers, but give away an entire paycheck? And he said, yes, give it to that church because they were starting a building program. We were getting ready to move from, one, uh, from Everman, Texas to Arlington, Texas, and to start a whole new building program. They'd been in Everman, Texas for about 40 years, and, and the Lord had spoke to the pastor and said, it's time to move from this community to hand this church over to someone else, hand this building over to another church, and then move into Arlington, Texas, into that growing region 25 years ago that was just beginning to explode. So the Lord said, give an entire paycheck. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, 100 bucks. No, no, no. My work paycheck. My work paycheck. And at that time, that was about uh, $500. Now, for you, some of you in this room, you're like, eh, 500 Pastor, where do you want the 500 to go? Some of you are looking at me like, no, that's not me. Some, but for some of you, that is. You're like, ah, 500 bucks. come on. I actually believe that was, I, I take it back, it wasn't one week's pay, it was two weeks' pay. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, trust me. I said, okay. So to go into full-time ministry, we planted this seed. We gave our regular tithe, and one Sunday we dropped that $500 check into the offering, praying and hoping. None of you have ever done this, so I'm not worried about it. But for us, we were praying and hoping it didn't bounce the next day when they deposited it. Thank God. It didn't bounce, hallelujah, but it was tight. I'll be honest. 
It was tight. And what I thought was a simple act of faith, God began to do a work in my heart to break that spirit of poverty off my life. To say, God, I trust you. I'm here to tell you, within about two months from that time, God told me when to quit my job, exactly the day to quit my job. I quit my job, and I went on vacation. Another smart move, right? But I thought, if I'm going to start in full-time ministry, I want to go on vacation, which vacation was going to see Joni's parents in Montana at the time, stay with them for free. So that was our little vacation. At the end of that vacation, as God is my witness, I had a full-time ministry position offered to me. I accepted the position, and two weeks later, we were in Montana working for the Lord full-time. But there's another part of that story. Because I'd quit my job, gone on vacation, came home, resigned uh, the ministry there in, here in Texas, and was cleaning up everything. And by the time, you, you know, when you're paid by a regular job, they pay you in the arrears. So all that process, I got one more paycheck, and then, but then I w- wasn't going to have a paycheck for two weeks. And I thought, Lord, we've got to move. We've got to do all this stuff. What are we going to do? Started looking at the checking account. It was dwindling fast. Joseph ate a lot at that time. (laughs) (laughs) I said, God, I don't know what to do here. Hadn't sold the house yet. We're still in that process. And I got a check in the mail. Can you imagine how much the check in the mail was for? $500. It was from my other company that I'd been working for. I thought, maybe they gave me a bonus. They weren't supposed to pay me. Maybe they gave me a bonus. How many of you know it was not a bonus? It was a mistake. They had just spit out another payroll check. And I said, praise God. So I called the company. I said, thank you for the bonus. I I just want to appreciate this. And they said, you better put that check back in the mail immediately. And if you cash it or try to deposit it, we will prosecute you. That's literally what they told me. I said, oh, I guess this isn't the, the uh, blessing that I thought it was. Yes, sir. And I sent that check back. And I thought, God, that wasn't it. The next day, we get a check in the mail. It wasn't from the company. It was from somebody I'd never met before. And they said, we just felt like God told us to uh, bless you and your ministry. And uh, this is just for you guys. Guess how much that check was for? $500. We used that check to move to Montana and began full-time ministry and never looked back. What am I trying to say? I, why did I tell that story? It wasn't part of what I, was, what I wrote down, but I, I feel like the Lord wants you to hear that, that, that it wasn't just about the 500. You understand. It was about a lesson. It was about a marker point in our journey that said, God will take care of you. Why worry, little flower? <laughs> what you shall wear, and what you shall eat. Because God clothes the flowers of the field better than Solomon was dressed. He feeds the birds of the air better than anyone else. Why would you worry? Because God is your Father, and He will clothe and He will feed you. He will take care of your needs. When you can begin to trust God for the little things in life, you can trust God for the big things in life. That's what Joshua was learning. I want to finish this story up with this and then let us go. Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. It says, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. 
So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since. When the Lord answered such a prayer, surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to their camp at Gilgal. If there's any skeptics in the room, if there's anybody here who's still questioning the word of God, scientists have said that and when they've taken these whole, um, uh, when they've taken the timeline of history, there seems to be about a day missing somewhere in history. This is true. I'm not just making this stuff up. There seems to be about a day missing in history that they cannot figure out. I know where your day is missing, scientist. I just read it. I just read it. But it hasn't happened again. It's a sign and it's a wonder for what God would do for the people of God. Joshua, the mighty warrior, was not ashamed to cry out to the Lord in front of all of his people. Can I tell you, don't be ashamed to cry out to God when you need to. He knew who would win the battle for them. Joshua was partnering with God, and he wanted the people to know it. When you partner with God, you know who has the real power, the full funding, and the best abilities in the partnership. Let me say that again. When you partner with God, you know who has the real power, the full funding, and the best abilities in the partnership. You know when you come into partnership with God that you're getting the better end of the deal. (laughs) You know that he's got it all. He's got it taken care of. And when I bring my measly gifts, when I bring my measly abilities, that he's the one who gave those to me, I know that he's the one who carries the weight of it all. And Joshua knew that. But Joshua came with a bold prayer, and the answer was tangible. I believe it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to get back to asking for bold things. I'm not talking about your next boat or your next ride. I'm talking about nations. I'm talking about the next uh, Berlin Wall to fall in Jesus' name. I'm talking about your friend, your neighbor, your family member who you just think is totally lost to God and beginning to ask, God, would you come again to this one? I'm asking about diseases. I'm asking about, come on, I'm asking about things that it's time to get back to God. It's okay to ask God for your headache, but what about asking God to heal cancer? I believe it's time for the church to get back to asking for bold things and bold initiatives that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts and expecting tangible results. I asked at the beginning, or said at the beginning, I would mention Gibeon again. Why was Gibeon so important to the enemy and important to God? I mean, we know about Jerusalem. That's an obvious one. But why this city on a hill? Why would this city be so important? to go to all this trouble, to get five kings together, to go and conquer it back. Why? I'll tell you why. In 1 Kings chapter 3, 4, and 5, and 1 Kings 9 gives us the answer. Gibeon would later become the place where the holy tabernacle dwelt in both David's realm 
and Solomon's realm. Watch that again. Gibeon would become the holy place where the holy tabernacle was. Before the temple was built in Jerusalem, the holy tabernacle dwelt in David and Solomon's reign at Gibeon. What does that say to you and me? The enemy will attack your place of worship and devotion to God to try and rob you of the presence of God. The enemy will attack your place of worship and devotion to God to try to rob you of the presence of God. Because here is the real kicker. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much fame you have. I don't care how much skill you have. I don't care how much ability you have. If you don't have the presence of God, you have nothing. I don't care what God has blessed you with. You can line up every one of your vehicles. You can show me all of your houses and talk about how God has blessed you. But if that blessing becomes your God and you lose the presence of God in the process, you have nothing. The presence of God is what is going to get you through the battle. The presence of God is what is going to get you through defeat. The presence of God is what is going to get you through trial. The presence of God is what is going to get you through your failure. The presence of God is what is going to get you through this life. And may I tell you, friend, the presence of God is what will usher you into the other side. The presence of God will greet you in heaven, and the presence of God will lead you here on earth. The presence of God is more precious than gold. It's more precious than silver. It's more precious than any relationship you could ever have on this earth. The presence of God is what will guide you through and what will welcome you in. Moses said, God It's awesome we've got this Ark of the Covenant. It's awesome we've got all this stuff. But if you do not go with us, do not take us any further. We need your presence. God, show me your glory. I'm not here to bash any other church or any other people or any other Christian or any other speaker. That's that's not what I'm here to do. But I am here to say that I am concerned about the state of Christianity today. Where we're more interested in lights, more interested in the musicians, more interested in if the preacher can preach good or the teacher can teach well. We're more interested in the programs. We're more interested in what what can you offer me? And if we're not careful, I don't care how small we are or how big we are, we can all fall into that same trap of consumerism. I saw this 20 years ago when I started noticing marketing, and I love marketing. All you marketers out there, marketing is great. You have the greatest message and the greatest hope to market to the world. It's Jesus Christ. Let's do it. But when we started beginning to look towards marketing more than to the presence of God to lead us, I said, God, help us. Don't let me fall into the trap. And can I tell you, I fell into the trap more than once. The presence of God is what will guide us, what will lead us, and dare I say it, what will draw others into him. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I believe what that means, it's its kindness incarnate. When we know that God loves us, he leads us to a place of repentance. I don't have any problem preaching about hell. It's real and it will happen. 
I don't have any problem preaching about heaven. But I can tell you that God will guide more people by his presence and by his kindness and by his goodness than by anything else. Would you please bow your heads for a moment? I don't know about you, but I want to see some sun standing still. There's some things in my life, in our church, in my generation, in my family. There's some big things that I could ask God for. And I don't think there's any problems with asking for those things. But I want God to touch us this morning. I want God to touch us this morning and begin to put things in us, bold prayers in us that he wants us to ask him for. You say, will God do that? Yes. When you're in connection with God, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, he'll give you some crazy prayers to pray if you'll let him pray through you. But before we get to that, maybe today you and God aren't on the same terms right now. Maybe your relationship with God is not in alignment because you have allowed the things of this world to get in the way of your relationship with God. Maybe you've been so concerned about what's going on in the horizontal that you've kind of let the vertical relationships go. Today, you can make that right with God. Today, you can come into alignment with Jesus. And it's very simple. It's by repenting, by calling out on him, by recognizing your mistakes, and saying, God, I need you. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you wash me clean? Would you make me new? I want to come back to you, Jesus. If you're in this place this morning and with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, that's me. I know that my relationship with Jesus Christ is not where it needs to be. And today I want to repent and surrender to him. Would you pray with me? If that's you, just raise your hand right where you're at and say, I want my relationship with Jesus to come back into alignment, to come back to where it needs to be. Thank you. Anyone else? Listen, I recognize you could pray anywhere. You could do anything. But today, right now, this moment, Jesus is calling you. If that's you, raise your hand and say, I'm ready to repent, and I want to come back into alignment with my relationship with God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else want to join these two? Listen, we got a word from the Lord at the beginning before this service ever started that God wanted to do something supernatural. The most supernatural thing that can happen today is for you to come back into relationship with God so that he can move in your life. Those who know me know I don't normally linger, but I'm lingering right now because I believe the Lord's speaking to somebody's heart. Anyone else say, I want to repent to God. You don't repent to me. You repent to God. And I want my relationship to, with God to be right today. I don't want to leave this place without making it right with God. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me right now?
Would you pray this prayer, please, out loud together for the benefit of those who've raised their hand and also for those maybe you didn't raise your hand because you don't know me. You maybe thought I was going to embarrass you. It's not about embarrassment. Jesus took all the embarrassment. He took all the shame when he died on the cross. This is about making it right with God. We're about to pray a prayer, and you don't even have to pray the words I pray. You can just pray something like it. But we're about to pray a prayer, and as we pray that prayer, if you believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. You'll come into complete alignment. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything else. Just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Let's pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I come before you this morning, and I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. I want to walk in your ways, and I want to fulfill the purpose of God for my life in this lifetime. Therefore, I repent of all of my sins, of all of my wrongdoing, of the things that I have done, of the things that I have said that have offended you and offended others. Forgive me, Lord, for sinning against you and sinning against others. Wash me clean right now in the name of Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. And I confess you today as my Lord, as my Savior, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for touching my life, for filling me with your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I thank you for everyone that prayed that prayer and believed in their heart, God. I pray it right now in the name of Jesus that you would fill them with your spirit, that even today, God, that they would be overflowed by your spirit, God, and that they would walk in the spirit from this day forward, that the enemy would not be able to defeat them in these areas of their lives any longer, but they would trust in you, they would depend in you, they would walk in your word, they would know your word intimately, and they would know you intimately in the name of of Jesus. Let's shout unto God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. Amen. Walk it out before him. And you say, how do I do that? Man, you get involved in a good church. You find somebody that will come alongside you and walk you through the word and, uh, and watch God do amazing things in you. Amen. Now, let me pray a prayer blessing over everybody. God, I thank you and praise you for each and every individual in this place. God, that as we begin to pray bold prayers, that we would see miraculous answers to those prayers. God, that you would stir up in us a boldness and a faith like we've never known before. That as we go throughout this week, no matter what trial, no matter what temptation, no matter what the enemy throws it our way, God, that we will face it head on with you and know that you make us victorious in Christ Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you Wednesday night.